Our text this morning is a preacher's dream because it is so obscure. You know, we really struggle sometimes when we preach texts that that you have heard all your lives and you've heard so many sermons on and you think, how can we bring new life to that? How can we have people listen to that as if they're hearing it for the first time? Well, I don't think we'll have a problem with this text because you may have read it at some time. If you're a Bible reader who works all the way through the Bible, uh, you probably have read through it, but I doubt that it really stuck in your mind. It's from Isaiah, but it's not the part of Isaiah that we love so much. We normally preach Isaiah 1 through 12, and then we pick up a chapter 40 and go on through the end of the book. But this is found in chapter 14 of Isaiah. It's in a little section of Isaiah known as the burdens upon the heathen nations. If you can't get into that, I don't know what you can't get into, you know. And uh, this one is about little Philistia. Uh, You see these these, these woes or these threats against these terrible nations are mainly about the big boys like Assyria and Babylon and Egypt. But Isaiah also works in some of the little nations as well because the big boys were fighting each other and they were kind of leaving the little guys alone and the little guys were beginning to think that everything was going to be okay with them. They didn't have to make any changes. They could just be who they were and things were okay. Isaiah says, no way. Let's be standing, please, as we hear this, a difficult part of the Word of God. Listen for some glimmers of hope. This oracle came in the year that King Ahaz died. Do not rejoice, all you Philistines, that the rod that struck you is broken. From the root of that snake will spring up a viper. Its fruit will be a darting, venomous serpent. The poorest of the poor will find pasture, and the needy will lie down in safety. But your root I will destroy by famine. It will slay your survivors. Wail, O gate. Howl, O city, melt away, all you Philistines. A cloud of smoke comes from the north, and there is not a straggler in its ranks. What answer shall be given to the envoys of that nation? The Lord has established Zion, and in her, his afflicted people will find refuge. May God bless the reading of his word. There we are. Let's play word association for a moment. Just think of the first word that pops into your mind. You can say it out loud if you want to. You don't have to. But if you think of family, job, money, school, it's over, right? (laughs) Okay, got that one. Cowboys. No, it's supposed to be Indians. That's right. What what did the rest of y'all say? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. What about this one? Church. Just what is your first impression when you hear the word church? Unfortunately, a lot of people in this world don't have very positive identifications with the word church. They may think of their childhood. They may think of something like boring. They may think of irrelevant. Some people think of scandals. What a blessing it is that when we say the word church, more positive feelings immediately come in our heart. Family, love, God. Well, I want to propose that for the next few moments, we think of church in terms of refuge. 
Think of church in terms of it being a safe place to be. Think of church in terms of, ah, it just feels so good to be here. Now, where this is coming from is right at the end of that terrible litany of woes and threats against Philistia. God says, you know, I am building in Zion for my people a refuge. And there they will be safe. Now, I want you to let that image kind of dwell in your hearts for just a moment. That in a world of chaos, in a world where nations are fighting against each other, in a world where you're always struggling economically, in a world where there's so much that's going on that, that just brings heartache and, and effort, and that God is busy building for his people a place that is safe, a place of refuge. He says... The Lord has founded in Zion, and in her, his afflicted people shall find refuge. A few hundred years later, the Apostle Peter, when he was describing a spiritual house that God was building, reached all the way back into the Old Testament and grabbed some of that imagery about Zion. And he says, this is what the church is like. He says, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and he who believes in him will not be put to shame. Isn't that just like our God who loves us so much? That he is always concerned that his people have some place to go to be safe, some place to go for refuge, a place to go where they don't have to deal with their shame a place to go where they can breathe easy, where they can relax knowing that God is in control and that God has given them his full love, his full acceptance, and that shows through his people that have been gathered together in that place. We all need a place to go for safety. We all need a place to go that's a refuge. We all have to have a place where we can just sit down and say, ah. you can call that place Zion. You can call that place church. Fred Craddock tells a story about a time when he was a preacher for a little country church in North Carolina, I believe it was. And it's a little community church and uh, not a lot happened there. And one wintry evening, a woman came forward and requested baptism. Now, this was different for them because the community was so small and everybody pretty much went to their own church and they didn't have many adult converts. They were just happy that when the kids that grew up in the church, they got to baptize those. And so it caused quite a stir when this woman came forward and requested to be baptized. The church was excited. They didn't have a baptistry in that little church. They baptized in the creek behind the church. Well, being winter, they made some provisions. Someone grabbed a blanket on the way out. A man went out ahead of everybody and gathered some wood and made a big roaring fire on the creek bank. 
And finally it came time and Fred went down that evening and took the woman into the cold stream and baptized her. And when they brought her back up, they brought her and stood her in front of the fire, wrapped her up in a blanket, and they sang a few songs together. And then people began saying the things that people say after someone's baptism. We're so proud of you. How wonderful this is. The angels are rejoicing. But in addition to that, the people began filing by and giving her a hug. And one man said, you know, I'm a plumber. If you ever have any trouble with the plumbing in your house, just call me. I'll be right there and I'll get it fixed. And the other woman walked by and she said, well, I'm a housewife. I stay at home all the time. And, and so I know you've got kids. And, and if you ever need help with your kids, if, if you need to leave them someplace or you need me to come over to your house and keep them, well, let me know and I'll be right there. And another woman came by and said, well, I don't do a whole lot, but I'm, I'm a really good seamstress. And so if your kids ever need their clothes repaired or something, just call me and bring them over and I'll, I'll fix them for you. And on and on it went as each member went by. And this woman who had been kind of an outcast in the community, this woman that people had kind of looked at strangely and shook their head about some of the decisions she had made in life, suddenly she had a family. And suddenly she had a place where it was safe to be. Fred said he remembered as they were walking away from that fire, he went and put his arm around her and said, you know what we call this? We call this church. That's what we need. A place where it's safe to be. A place where you don't have to be competent all the time. In fact, you don't even have to pretend that you're competent all the time. We need a place where it's safe to be ignorant about some things and not be embarrassed. A place where you're not going to be made fun of because you can't do something or you don't know something. We need a place where it's safe to be young because this is a place that nurtures and leads and guides. We need a place where it's safe to be old. In a society that tends to push aside those who are no longer useful in business and in society, we need a place where the old are valued for their wisdom and for their love. We need a place where it's safe to be wrong, where someone will not criticize you for being wrong, but will extend a hand to lift you back up. We need a place where it's safe to doubt and to have these funny thoughts in your head sometimes, because guess what? The faith of those who are faithful here have gone through those same doubts. And we need a place where it's safe to be a sinner. Because you know what? You can't even get into this place unless you stand up before everyone and say, I'm a sinner. And I may have a different sin than you have, but it's safe to be a sinner here because we all are. We need a place where it's safe to be yourself as you wait for God's marvelous power to work in your heart. I read a story years ago written by Anthony DeMello, and it kind of bothered me when I read it. I thought, ah, that may be going a little too far. But have you ever read one of these things where it just won't go away? It just Every once in a while, I'd 
think of something and that story would come back. Let me share it with you. The title is Don't Change. I was neurotic for years. I was anxious, depressed, selfish. Everyone kept telling me I needed to change. And everyone kept telling me how neurotic I was. And I resented them. Oh, I agreed with them. And I did want to change, but I just couldn't bring myself to change no matter how hard I tried. And what hurt me most was that my best friend also kept telling me how neurotic I was. And he kept insisting that I change too. And I agreed with him too. But I just felt so powerless, so trapped. But then one day, that friend said to me, don't change. You can stay just as you are. It really doesn't matter whether you change or not because I'm going to love you anyway. I can't help but loving you. And these words were like music in my ears. You don't have to change. You don't have to change because I love you anyway. And so I relaxed and I came alive. And guess what? I changed. Now I know that I really couldn't change until I found someone who would love me the way I am now. Do you love me this way, God? He does. And he's built a place for us to come and be safe. A refuge in which to live until it comes time for him to change us. Now, that may sound awfully idealistic. You know, you've been in church a long time, many of you, and say, I don't know if that can work or not. Well, you know what? God knows how to put people together and make it work. Go back to the very first church that he created. Go back to the 12 apostles. I love Frederick Beekner's description of those 12 men. He says they were continually missing the point. They were jockeying for position. And when the chips were down, they were interested in nothing more than saving their own skins. It seems like the only qualification they had was their initial willingness to get up and follow when Jesus called them. Twelve men who didn't really fit together. Peter. Peter had a temper. Peter had a sailor's mouth. Peter many times spoke before he put his mind in gear, didn't he? Jesus called him a rock. Rock's not a pretty thing. <laughs> you know? Uh, and a rock can be kind of dangerous when it gets rolling down the hill and you better get out of its way. But when a rock finally settles down, you can build on that thing. Simon the Zealot. Do you know what a zealot is? A zealot is a revolutionary. Simon the Zealot was Malcolm X. Simon the Zealot was a militia man who stockpiled weapons in his basement. Simon the Zealot was a man that went out and actively worked for the overthrow of the government. You know, when there was a Roman standing in the crowd, I bet Jesus kept his eye on Simon the Zealot. You know, you would hate for someone to have their throat slit during the invitation song. And then you got Matthew. On the far other end, Matthew was a traitor. He was a sellout. 
He had sold himself completely to the Roman government. I can almost guarantee you that those first few days when Jesus had those 12 guys together and they stopped to sleep beside the road, that Jesus made sure he slept between Simon and Matthew. Then you got James and John, who after three years of being with Jesus and hearing all of his teachings about love and helping each other, they sneak in and try to get ahead of everybody else. Remember that story? We want the best jobs. Then, of course, you got Judas. You don't even need to talk about Judas. And yet, God called these people to be his first church. Jesus felt like he could work in their hearts and their lives. And the changes they need to make were so big. But he was up to the task. We all have our own agendas. We all have our own lifestyles. And there are people sitting in this room together today that under any other circumstances would probably have very little to say to each other. But we love each other. And it's safe to be here because we share that first love. We too have heard the call, come and follow me. And therefore, it's a safe place to be. It's a refuge. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul wrote these words. Jesus is our peace. He has made us all one. He has broken down the dividing walls between us, the walls of hostility, that he may create for himself one body in place of two. And so he made peace so that he might reconcile us to God in that one body through the cross. I don't know what you came here with, struggling with. I don't know if you came here feeling a little different from everyone else. But I want you to know this is the place where it's safe to be you. Because God loves you as you are. But Jesus died so that you can change. And this is a place where it's safe to be who you are while you're changing. This is God's refuge. And if you need that, and you need a family to take you by the hand and to walk with you down your road, we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And don't let the opportunity pass. There'll be some guys standing around the edge of this room. I'm up here at the front. Come and we'll embrace you. And we'll begin loving you. And all the while, we're praying that the power of our Savior is working in your heart. Let's stand and sing.